Good morning. We are so glad that you're here today to worship with us, and I, I hope that you have been blessed. You were blessed by the, uh, by the worship this morning already, and uh, what a fantastic. Now, Rachel just sang that beautiful song, and what a powerful message that was. Uh, I hope you just gather it, and I think we're going to sing it again next week, so it's just a powerful song, but let me just say a word about uh, Rachel, um, she, uh, today baptism Sunday, and today she's getting baptized, so it could be awesome. So, and, that, and that's happening here in a short little bit. Um, we have baptism at the end of our service, and uh, if this is, you know, maybe you're not familiar with baptism, what that means, uh, at Lake Point Church, we believe that baptism doesn't save a person. It doesn't help a person go to heaven. We don't believe that helps you have a relationship with God. All baptism is, it's, a, it's an, outward, uh, an outward proclamation of an inner change that already happened. It's a, it's a decision that already took place. And, uh, and so when, when we see individuals getting baptized, you know, they're saying that they believe in the, that Jesus died on the cross for them, that they would buried for them, and that they believe that Jesus rose again for that person, and believes for all mankind. But we believe that that person is making a statement of belief. I believe. It's just like when you get married, or, you know, for a person that gets married, they wear a, a wedding ring. A, a wedding ring doesn't make you married. It's just a picture of your marriage, a picture of the decision that you did when you said, I do. And that's what a wedding, a wedding is. And so that's today at the end of our service. Now here, I want to say this. If you're here this morning and at any point, you're like, you know what? I need to take that next step in baptism. I've been, you know, you made that decision. You've asked Jesus to come to your life and to be your Lord. And then, you know, you've already done that, but you've never taken a step of baptism. Or maybe you have a long time ago, and you're just like, you know what, I want to do it. I want to get back my life back on track and recommit my life. I've asked Jesus in my life, but kind of got away from Jesus, got away from God. I want to come back and reconfirm my faith, reconfirm my walk, and, and if you want to do that as well. So we have what we call spontaneous baptism. And so we have some people that are very lined up, very baptized four people in the first service, and, um, but maybe perhaps you're here and say, why didn't you know, you want to get baptized. And you're like, well, I, don't, I want to, but I don't have my clothes with you. And let me say this, we got everything you need. You know, we got dry, dry, a, a t-shirt, short, dry underclothes, towel, everything you need to get baptized. So if you're here today, if you've baptized in your heart, but you want to take that next step in baptism, we invite you to do so. And at the end, we'll have an invitation time and uh, we'll have a conversation. And, and we'll have a conversation, make sure you have an understanding before you put you under the water. If we don't feel like you're ready and need some more conversation, we'll, we'll help you with that. And it's always baptism later if we don't do it today. But this is an opportunity, and maybe you're on the fence. You've been praying about it, thinking about it. You can do that today. Now, let me just say welcome. Welcome to all of, our, uh, all of us here. Maybe you're new and this is your first time here. Um, Lauren already mentioned it earlier during the welcome about a connection card. And if you take a minute, fill that card out. And I uh, was so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. And uh, we had done a series in October uh, called Who's, 
who is God? That was the series. So now we're doing another series starting today called Who's Your One? So we've talked about who God is. Now we're going to talk about the mandate that God has for us. And that is to reach people who are far from God to come into a relationship with God. And he calls you, he calls me to carry out that mandate, to carry out the, the marching orders where Jesus said to go into all the world preaching the gospel and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our mandate. And oftentimes we think, well, that's the church job. The church does a pretty good job. But here's the fact is, it's not just the church job. It's your job. It's my job. And God has placed people in your life every day during the week. There's people that you're doing life with that you have someone you know that needs to know Jesus. There's somebody that you know that you work with, someone that you know that you, that's in your family that needs Jesus in their life. It could be the most radical pagan person that you know. You might think, man, I don't, I don't know that that person can ever come to Jesus. I mean, every other word, it's a, it's a, it's a cuss word, cussing God's name in vain. And, and uh, man, it, that person is so far from God. And I'm here to say this, that God, he can do the impossible. God can make a change. And only God can do it. We've seen the power of God, you know, in pop culture in this last couple of weeks. Everybody's talking about it on Facebook and Instagram or whatever social media platform you like to subscribe to. Some of you, I think, are still on MySpace.com. <laughs> There's Kanye West. You all hear about Kanye West and he come out with a new album. I mean, if you look at Kanye West a year ago, man, his songs were vile. I mean, the lyrics were terrible. But now there's something happening. And we can't, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure it out. And I'll tell you what's happening is God is making a change. And only God can do it. I can't do it. But God can make a change. If God can change someone that's so far out there, then God can change the most radical pagan person you know. He can change the power of God. And so here's, Here's where who's your one is. Because we're talking about the one person in your life. Who is it that you need to be praying for? Who is it that you do life with that you need to reach out? You need to reach out. In fact, we see this in the Bible. We see this uh, in John chapter 1. We see someone inviting someone to Jesus. We see a man named Andrew. The Bible says in verse number 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of two who heard what John, he's talking about John the Baptist, he heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So the first thing that Andrew did, you know what he did? He was to find his brother, Simon Peter, and he tells him, we have found the Messiah, which is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus. I would tell people, you can always 
bring people to Jesus in one of three different ways. You can be an inviter, invite people. Some people invite people to church and say, hey, come to church and hear about Jesus. Be a bringer. Some of you might have brought somebody to church. You, you literally drug him to church. You drag him here, all right? And so you, you brought him. You're like, man, you know, I, I came because someone told me I needed to come, and they offered me. They told me that they buy my lunch after church if I come, you know, if I come to church with them. And, you, and they, they drag you to church. They brought you here. But there's a third way that people come to know Jesus and how you can help people is be an introducer. You introduce Jesus. So you could be a bringer, be an inviter, be an introducer. And we see this. That's what Andrew did. He introduced Peter to Jesus. But here's where the rub is. Here's where the tension is. The tension is, yes, many of us know the mandate. Many of us know that we are to reach the one in our life. But the rub is that so many of us, we don't feel like we're qualified or we feel like we're not good enough to share it. We have fears. We're afraid. We're afraid of what they might think about us. And all of these things come into play. And and we make excuses why we don't talk about Jesus. You see, it's easy for you and I to go to a stranger randomly and just talk about the weather. We can talk about the weather. It's easy to talk about the weather, right? It's easy to talk about sports. You see someone wearing a a Michigan hat. You say, go blue, and you start having a conversation. If if I see someone with a Michigan state hat, I just walk away. I mean, just, just sorry. No, no, I'm not, I'm not like that. I might, I might give them a dig. I might say, hey, well, how about those Michigan guys? And, you know, and we kind of might have a real friendly conversation. You know, we might talk about, I don't know, politics, you know, and whatever that might be. But when it comes to the J word, when it comes to talking about Jesus, we get a little tense up. You know, we start having some sweaty palms. Our knees start to, you know, knock a little bit. Having a conversation about Jesus, it's not easy. And then oftentimes we have all of these thoughts in our mind that, man, I don't know, what if they ask me a question that I don't have an answer to? Or what if they think something weird about me? Or, or maybe I'm just not qualified. I shouldn't talk about Jesus. I barely know him myself. And I hope today that we'll see in the story in Matthew chapter 4, I hope that I can give you some encouragement about letting go of our fears and going after the one. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 18. As Jesus was walking Beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Let me pause here for just a minute. Jesus has already met Simon, Peter, and Andrew. The conversation in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 1 that we just read where Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, that's already happened. 
All right, they know about Jesus. They know about who he is. But these two guys are fishermen. And we're going to come back to this idea in just a minute. But they're fishermen. The Bible said that they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse number 19. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and be my disciple, and I will teach you how to fish for men. At once, the Bible said that they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father preparing their nets. Jesus called them, pretty much said the same thing. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, they left the boat, and their father, and they followed him. They left their jobs. They left their most meaningful relationships. They gave it all up to follow after Jesus, to follow him. One of those stories, if you're like me, you learn this story in Sunday school class on a flannel graph board. How many of you remember the flannel graph, all right? Uh, yeah, you know, you have those stories that one week will be, you know, Jonah and the whale. And they're a little cut out, and they'll cut out a little Jonah. And so, old man, you know, Jonah. And they, they throw the old picture on the felt board. And you got Jonah on there. And you have a big giant fish. All right? And, of course, he put the big giant fish on the flannel graph. And, and the big giant fish swallows Jonah. And it kind of acted out on the old-fashioned 1980s style, Sunday school style, flannel graph board. And then the following week, there'll be a different story. There'll be David and Goliath. And by the way, churches were tight on the budget, so they didn't have extra character to work with. So they threw up David, which, by the way, was, 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 uh, was Jonah the week before. It was an old man. All right, but you got young boy David, okay? And he said, okay, just imagine, this is David, they got Goliath, it's the whale from the week before, okay? <laughs> Let's throw him up there. And this is one of those stories that I've learned in the flannel graph days. Learning about Jesus calling out his boys to follow after him. And this is one of these stories where the more you study into it, the more that you understand what this means. Today, I'm hoping... I can make you for a cup for about the next 20 minutes. I'm hoping to turn you into a history nerd. I, I, want, I want you to nerd out. Uh, if you, I love history. I'm going to help you to nerd out for a few minutes. Because once we understand what's happening here behind the scenes, then we'll have a better understanding of when Jesus called disciples to come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It all starts for a Hebrew boy. When they turn five years old, they attend a little school called the Torah school. Every little boy that turned five, he attends the Torah school. Now, Torah is the study of the first five books of the Old Testament. We know what they are. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they would study 
the first five books in Torah school, and it started when they turned five at a ceremony where the head teacher would take a drop of honey and they would drop the drop of honey on the tongue of that young little Hebrew child. And for most of these Hebrew boys, they were poor. They had never tasted anything sweet. And so for a lot of them, this was the first time they're tasting something sweet. And as they taste that sweetness, while they're enjoying that sweetness, they're hearing out loud in that ceremony the first chapter of Genesis. And here's the, here's the picture of this. The picture is that God's word is going to be sweet to you as you study the word of God. And that's the picture that they're trying to portray in their very first ceremony when they turned five years old. And for the next five years, that Hebrew child, that Hebrew boy, would memorize large section of the Torah, the large section of the first five books of the Bible. Well, by the age 10, the school had kind of a weeding out. They had a weeding out. They only took the very best students, maybe the upper 20, upper 25% of the Hebrew boys, and they would take those, they would keep them. The rest of the boys that didn't make the cut, they would send them home to the father's home, to the mom and dad's home, and they would learn their family business. They would become apprentices, and they would learn how to run the family business, so by the time they get old enough, they would take over the mom and dad's business. But the boys who remained in Torah school would study until the age of 17, where they would learn the rest of what we call the Old Testament. Joshua to Malachi. So they would learn that for the next seven years. And then when they got to 17, there was another kind of a cut. Another cut. And if you wanted to go on with your religious studies after you turned 17, then you would go and find yourself a rabbi. Now, a rabbi, if you're taking notes, simply means teacher. Uh, he's, a, he's a teacher of religious laws. He was a teacher of religious expert. You would sit at the, you would find a rabbi and you would become a rabbi Talmud. Talmud. That's a Hebrew word. That's an Aramaic word that means disciple. Aramaic word that means disciple. So when you found your rabbi, you turned 17, then you will go find a rabbi, someone that you look up to, someone that you were hoping to learn from. And you will go and you find a rabbi of your choice. And you will sit down at the feet of the rabbi and that told that rabbi that you were interested in becoming his Talmud, his disciple. Now at that point, the rabbi would put you through a series of tests to see if you were worthy to be his disciples. Very similar to a college entrance exam. You apply for a college that you like to go to, and you go through a set of, a set of applications and questions, and then you hope for a letter, hoping that you've been accepted into that college program. 
very similar to here, a rabbi. And you would go sit at a rabbi, and he would ask you all the questions. He would go through a, a series of tests. And then at the end, he would determine if you were worthy enough to be his disciple. And not everyone made the cut. You know, not everyone could, you know, you might go to rabbi number one, and rabbi number one goes through a series of tests, and you don't meet his expectation. He said, man, I'm not going to keep you. You're not going to be my Talmud. And so he, then that young 17-year-old boy would go to another rabbi, hoping, man, you know, I'm hoping I get accepted by him. And, and, and hopefully, they will become accepted by any one of the rabbis. Now, rabbis were able to be really selective because in those days, becoming a rabbi was the best of all possible jobs. I mean, there was a lot of power to be a rabbi, be a religious ruler. Every, almost every Hebrew boy dreamed of becoming a religious expert. They didn't dream about becoming a basketball player or a football player or some musician. They dream about becoming religious experts. So rabbis, I mean, there were very few rabbis, and there were many 17-year-olds looking for acceptance. And so they choose to be picky and selective. They would pick the smartest. They would pick the most talented boys to be their Talmud. Another reason the rabbis were so picky is that when they choose a disciple, a Talmud, they were choosing somebody that they believed had capacity to become just like him. Not just to know what they knew and to hear their teaching, but to do what they did. They wanted to find Talmud to emulate everything that the rabbi does. And for several years, the Talmud would follow around the rabbi, imitating the rabbi in every way. They would learn their mannerism. They would learn how to answer certain questions. They would learn how to respond in certain situations. And supposedly, the highest compliment you could pay a Talmud in those days is you would say to them, the dust of your rabbi is all over them. The dust of the rabbi it's all over you. Now, that's not to say, hey, man, you need a shower. That's not what that means. What it meant is that you so emulated your rabbi that whatever he had stepped in, you got covered with it. That's how close you followed him. Everything that your rabbi does, you did. You got covered with it. All right? So how are we doing? Are you getting your nerd on so far? Because I've got one more here. We're going to get a little bit deeper on you. All right, so hold on. It's going to get better. In Jesus' days, there was a really rare form of rabbi who possessed a characteristic that very few rabbis had. That characteristic was called samika. Samika. It's a Hebrew word. Samika, and if you're taking notes, it simply means authority. Authority. Now, I think it sounds so much cooler in the Hebrew. Kind of a fun word to say. You want to say it, don't you? Let's just say it out loud. Samika. All right, with me. I'm deaf, so you got to speak loud. Samika. One more time. Samika. It means authority. 
authority. These kind of rabbis were very, very rare. We only know about a dozen that were recognized as Samika rabbis. And they all had names if you studied Jewish history. Now one is named Hillel, another one named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was actually the rabbi that taught Saul. Saul became Paul. But Saul learned at the feet of Gamaliel, who had Samika. These guys were the masters of the Torah. Masters. They were mystical. They seemed to possess this authority. They were like the top of the top of rabbis. They, could, they were thought to be so close to God that they could give new, unheard of insights into the word of God. Now, back then, at this time, hearing new stuff was, was, did not happen in Jewish culture. You didn't hear new stuff. New stuff is frowned upon. But if a rabbi that had Zamika, he, he had the ability to say, you may not understand this, but let me explain it even better. And he had the authority to go a little bit deeper, to give fresh insight in the scripture. Now, two other things about Samika, and then I want to make a connection to a story in Matthew chapter 4. To be regarded as a rabbi with Samika, to have Samika uh, characteristic, there had to be evidence that you have done miracles. Here's the second thing. If you were regarded as one with Samika, it had to be a officially conferred by two other rabbis that had Samika. So this was a very exclusive club, a very hard club to get into. Now here comes Jesus, who knows the Torah so well that in Luke chapter 2, don't turn there, but in Luke chapter 2, you know the story, he's 12 years old, parents lost him, they went and found him, what did they find Jesus doing? They found him in the temple teaching Torah laws to the, to the religious rulers. That's Jesus right there. He would frequently say things when you read the life of Christ. He frequently, frequently would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. He said that over and over and over again always give a new insight. We see that his heroes, his audience, are constantly amazed at his authority. We see that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. In Hebrew, they would have said, one with Samika, Samika, not as the teachers of the law, not just a regular rabbi. Jesus was a cut above, and they were amazed at his teaching. You would see the other religious rulers constantly questioning Jesus. They would say things like, you know, where do you get this authority? Where do you get this Samika? Who gave it to you? Who conferred it to you? 
Who conferred this Jamaica authority into your life? We need to know. We need to know. Well, here's, here's what we need to know about Jesus. We, first of all, we know this. He does miracles. That's one of the requirements for a rabbi to have Samika. He does miracles. There's no doubt about that. But it also, and this is probably, probably the best part, right before this story in Matthew 4, Jesus is in the wilderness. And he's out in the wilderness, and there's a man named John the Baptist. We've already talked about him in, that, in Andrew, I'm sorry, in John chapter 1. But John the Baptist, he's out there preaching. Y'all know who John the Baptist is. Campbell skin wearing, honey and locusts eating prophet. He's out there preaching in the wilderness. By the way, if there was ever a teacher dripping with Tamika sauce, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, I mean, he's just full of it. I mean, people were following him because he was giving fresh insight into the word of God. And right in the middle of one of his sermons, he sees Jesus. And he tells everybody that's listening, he said, there's somebody in this crowd, and he points to Jesus, that is greater than me, greater than me, that I am not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. And then at that same moment, God the Father from the heavens, with a loud voice, said, this is my beloved son, and whom I'm well pleased. Two people with authority, John the Baptist and God the Father, no question about that. Two affirmations. And at that, at this point, I hope you have all those little Samika lights just popping up on your little dashboard inside of you and says, Samika, Samika, Samika. Yes, Jesus. It's not some ordinary teacher and rabbi. He's a rabbi, a teacher with Samika characteristics. And it's so obvious to everybody. Now, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, this new rabbi, just oozing with Samika. Chooses Simon Peter and Andrew, who are fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. The fact that they were fishermen tells you that these men didn't even make the first cut. When they turned 10 years old, they got dropped. They went into the family business to become fishermen. They were the most unlikely of anybody to learn from any rabbi, much less a rabbi with Samika. Samika. They were part of the B team, and this is so important. When Jesus gathered his force, if you're taking note, when Jesus gathered his force to transform the world, he chose the B team. He skip over the A players. He skip over the most talented, the most eloquent. He skip all over those that had the most potential. And so when Jesus said to these, these men, 
follow me. I'm the rabbi with Samika. Follow me. And it was obvious. Everyone knew that. I mean, there was something extra special about this teacher. And when Jesus calls out to Simon Peter and Andrew, follow me, of course they followed him. They, they thought there was nothing left for them life. They thought, man, all they had in life was the fish to keep a living. And when you have the rabbi say, come follow me. And I'll teach you to be my disciple, my Talmud. I'll teach you how to fish for men. And they did. They did. God doesn't choose the best. God chooses the willing. God doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. I love how one author wrote this. He said, God skipped all the wise of the day. He skipped the great scholars that were in Egypt, the great library in Alexandria, the great philosophers were in Athens, the powerful, powerful people were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary, it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. I mean, half of these guys were fishermen. One of them was an IRS agent. And another guy was a former terrorist. Simon the Zealot. Jesus chose the B team. Because his work in the world would not come from their awesome abilities. It would come from what he would do through them. You see, a lot of people with a lot of talents and abilities would only get in the way of what God wants to do. But Jesus taught that power in the weakest vessel is far greater than the greatest talent apart from Jesus. Now, I love how Jesus enforced the truth in Matthew chapter 11. And then we'll wrap this up. We see Jesus talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 9. He's talking about John the Baptist here. He says to the disciples, to the Thomas, he said, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And then Jesus said this. Truly, I tell you, among those Born of woman, which means everybody here, okay? <laughs> Obvious. He said, among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. See, according to Jesus, let's pause here for just a minute. We'll go back to the first. According to Jesus, John the Baptist was the greatest preacher that ever lived. John the Baptist was Jesus' all-time favorite preacher. In fact, on Jesus' iPod, he had all of John the Baptist's sermons. He loved him some John the Baptist. John the Baptist, greatest preacher, hands down, that ever lived. But notice what Jesus says next. He said, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. And I want you to think about the impact of that last statement. 
There's somebody in this room this morning. You're the least of the kingdom of God. You say, man, God, I don't know nothing about the Bible. I'm the least eloquent. I'm the least talented. I'm the least capable. I know least about the Bible. You say, God, you're talking about me. That's, that's who I am. And God in heaven is like, yep, I'm talking about you. The least. The underqualified. The one that's not feel worthy enough to do what God wants you to do. And you say, that's me. And, and you're at the bottom of the pile. And you know it. But according to this last statement, you have more potential for power in ministry than John the Baptist. Whoa. Think about that. And say, so how did that go? Because you got something that John the Baptist didn't have. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you've asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and he empowers you to do the work of the ministry. And it's no longer going to be about your ability for Jesus, but instead it's going to be about your ability to be available to him. You see, Jesus is not interested, if you're taking notes one more time, he's not interested in your ability. He's interested in your availability. And being a disciple of Christ and God, who I am, I'm available. Use me. I go back to the question, who's your one? So Jesus said, come follow me. That rabbi was Samika. I mean, there were people lining up to follow a rabbi with Samika, but Jesus said, no, no, no. I want you. I want you. I want you to follow me. Come learn of me. Come learn of how to walk like me, to emulate me. Be a Christ follower. Let the dust of Jesus be all over you. All over you. Follow me. And I'll make you to be fishers of men. Says God, I'm not qualified. Oh, you've got potential. You've got the potential to do what God wants you to do. It's about, I know someone in my life that needs Jesus, that God wants you to go after that person to pray for that person, to look for the opportunity to reach that person for Jesus, to be an inviter, be a bringer, be an introducer. One last thing and we're done. We're talking about who you should be reaching, but perhaps this morning, as we talk about who's your one, maybe you're like, but Scott, I am the one. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And today, I want to give my heart to him. I want to give my life to him. You might be here today, you might be like, God, I don't feel like I'm even worthy enough to follow after Jesus. And Jesus said, come follow me. Follow me. And I will give you rest for your soul. And he said, well, God, I feel like I've got to get cleaned up. There's some things in my life. And God said, no, it's okay not to be okay when you come to me. 
Now, we believe this is not okay to not stay not okay. That makes sense. I mean, there's a, there's a discipleship, there's a growth in Christ, but coming to Jesus, you come as you are. The, the rabbi with Samika wants to do life with you. And today, you're like, I'm the one. I need Jesus. And you can simply ask him into your life. Be your Lord and Savior. You can do that today. In just a minute, our worship team are going to come up here. They're going to lead us in a song. And during that song, the song is come as you are. I love that. You come as you are. And if you're here today, you say, I need to know Jesus. I want to talk to someone about Jesus and what that means in my life. We'll have some people in the front. We don't do this in every service. But we'll have some people during that song up here in the front. And while they're singing, you come forward. I'm going to celebrate when I see you take that first step. That first step is the hardest step. I mean, I'm telling you, that first step is the most difficult step. But you know what the easiest step is? When you take the second step. When you take the second step and the third step, and you come down and say, I need to know Jesus. I am the one today that I need to be reached. And that could be you today. There may be others who say, I've asked Jesus in my life, and he's my Lord and Savior, but I want to take that next step. I want to, I want to get baptized. I want to take the next step in believer's baptism. I will get you lined up. We'll get you ready to go so that when we do baptism in a few minutes, you can follow the Lord in baptism. What is your next step? What is the decision you need to make? Maybe there's some of you here who just need to get, come forward with, on your knees and you say, man, I got to pray for that one person in my life that needs Jesus. I need to get on my knees. I, I need to pray for that radical pagan person in my life that needs to know Jesus. Or maybe today you should say, God, I'm pray that you use me. Pray for that one. I'm going to invite you to come. You don't have to talk to anybody, but you can come and pray at the altar and pray and pray for the one. Who's your one? Our Father, well, this is our opportunity for us to celebrate. And here at Lake Point, this is a celebration. We clap, we cheer, we make it a party in here. Because here's what we believe. We believe that the angels in heaven are celebrating over one that gives their life to Jesus. They've already given their life to Jesus, right? We've already talked about what that means. But they're making a public proclamation of the decision that they've already made in Christ. And so I'm going to invite this, this family to join us. And, uh, and so we're going to invite Greg and Karen. Why don't you come forward? We got Karen, a husband and wife here. They've got their son, Michael. Michael, you come join us. You know, if you get wet, blame it on your mom here, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and Greg and Karen, they've got an incredible story here. They've been a part of the church before uh, at what we call Friendship Church that was here. And, uh, and, and they kind of, yeah, we got some. <laughs> In fact, if you're a part of that Friendship Church, raise your hand. We got some Friendship, all right. There, yeah, there it is. 
Good, and, and we're glad to have all of the Friendship family here with us to become part of our Late Point family. And Greg and Karen, they've been with us since the beginning. And, uh, and because of uh, Karen, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Bearing his likeness, raised to walk in newness of life. How does it feel to be the first one to be baptized in our new location? Awesome. awesome. Good job. <laughs> By the way, they got your son Michael with us. I'm not sure if I introduced Michael. Come on in here. Greg, Greg Antos. Greg, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Bearing his likeness. Hold your nose. Raised to walk in newness of life. Warm water in here, so just stay in here, okay? Yeah, <laughs> that's a crypto work, and uh, her husband Jeff is here. And uh, Jeff, you gonna help me baptize crypto? So awesome! And uh, crypto has asked you to come into her heart, be her Lord and Savior. Now, when she was younger, and today she's just taking the next step and saying, You know, I'll follow the Lord and believe her baptism. Crystal, because of your faith in Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bearing its likeness, raised to walk in the newness of life. One more. Shelly. That's Shelly Hill and Karen, my wife, is going to baptize her. Okay, <laughs> just check it. <laughs> Um, so Shelly and her family, we've got Ben and her kids up here supporting her f 
for this day today. Ben and Shelly just recently, within the last year and a half, moved up here from Alabama. And Shelly, when she was younger, um, accepted Christ at um, VBS and followed with Believer's Baptism after that. Um, but it wasn't until she was in high school, she attended a youth conference. And she really understood what it meant to have that heart change and to um, wanna live her life serving God. And so since then, she's just felt that tug, that little call to um, go ahead and do the baptism again as her adult decision. And so I'm honored today to be able to baptize Shelly today. So I'll give you that. Because of your faith in Jesus, I baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the first service, and uh, but Rachel, once Rachel and Lauren is going to baptize her, mom and dad, Scott and Karen, why don't you come and join us? Cool. So, yeah, this is Rachel, her mom and dad, and her sister is right up here. Um, Rachel is deciding to take the next step in baptism. And that is just so, so exciting. She's very involved in our youth ministry. I'm one of her leaders for that. I'm very blessed. She has a special place in my heart. We have Joan and Kim over there who are also some of her youth leaders. And we are just so excited for this day, for this moment. I know the heavens are rejoicing. As, as amazing as her voice is and as big as her voice is, as you guys heard this morning, her heart for Jesus is so much bigger. And that is the beautiful thing about her. I love this girl so much. Um, but... Because of your faith in Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 